His name is Jairus, well known in the synagogues, a leader of believers in Yahweh. You see, he is looking for Jesus. He believes that this Nazarene from Galilee can heal his daughter who is dying. Yes, dying. Yes, dying. And along with her disease is the dis-ease of knowing that his hopes and dreams for her, for him, for them, may be dying too. No more, Daddy, can you help me? Or, hold my hand, sweetie, or... You are so beautiful, powerful, strong, and wonderful to me, my child. If only he could get his hope back. His fear is that all of this will be for naught. That birthdays, Sabbath days, and better days are no longer within his grasp. He holds on as if life slips away, where colors burn bright, turn dull, turn shades of gray. He stops and drops at the feet of Jesus, pleading for what life is and what it could be, if only it can be, if only. Twelve years of age is not nearly enough. He wants it back. He wants her laugh. He wants the years he had plus more, lots more. Come with me, sir. Come and see her. If anyone can, you can heal her. You're a healer aren't you? You are the one that I sought. A father's plea to see his daughter recover. Jesus, he needs her to be okay. Jesus, he needs him to be on the way. Tick-tock, tick-tock. The sun is setting. The people press in. The people press him. Seconds, turns, minutes. Tick-tock, tick-tock. It's the crucial hour. His daughter's life hangs in the balance. Every second drains him. The life drains from his face. If only Jesus can get there. Please get there before it's too late. Twelve years of life. It's not nearly enough. Twelve years of life, but it's not really a life. It's a lonely, loathsome languishing an existence barely there, with no health, no help, no healing, and no hope from anywhere. Doctors came, they siphoned money, soon enough they siphoned hope. Mystic healers failed to heal her, medicine became a joke. Nothing came from herbal teas or homeopathic remedies, nothing could fix her broken, bleeding body. An irony of living, a life source that's draining life. So she's breathing and she's trying, but inside and out she's dying. Yes, dying. Yes, dying. Physically, she's dying from the flow that ebbs her life. Socially, she's already under since society has shunned her. With rejection from religion and no hope for righteousness, she is living but not living. And there's only one hope left. She knew that he was coming, knew the public knew it too, knew she couldn't risk the outcry if she made them unclean too. Guided by her desperation on her own initiation, stealing courage, holding breath, risking life to stave off death. While the prouds were pressing, crushing, she leaned in just barely touching, skimming really, almost hovering, instantaneously recovering. 
Stepping back, the crowds kept, sh kept shifting, swallowing her whose hands were lifting, filled with wonder, feeling new. She was healed. She was healed. But then the crowd stopped moving and the murmurs rippled through. People whispered to each other saying, not me, was it you? None came forth to claim the question. His disciples raised their brows. Everyone has touched you, Jesus. You're the center of the crowd. Someone touched me, he repeated. Power left me, he completed. Though the woman had retreated, who has touched me, he entreated. She looked up. Suddenly, knocked out of her haze, she saw the crowd all turn their gaze. She lost that blissful, dreamlike daze, and she found fear. In the presence of the people, those who'd rendered her obscure, they'd all known her. Could they stone her? How much more could she endure? Trembling, she fell before him, still unsure of what he'd say, told him everything that happened and the sick he'd healed away. Would he chastise her or scold her? Would he hit her, hurt her, hold her? There she waited on her knees, breath abated at his feet. Then she heard his restoring word, long lost on others' lips. Daughter. Your daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. The servant's steps draw near, ever nearer ever near, words fail on sun-parched lips as the father awaits the report of his daughter's fate. He utters words, heavy as landslides and avalanches on mountainsides, words of disappointment and pain, words of fear and regret, words of hope shattered, words of life that has slipped away, words long lost on others' lips. Your daughter, he says. Daughter is dead. So Emmett, when I think about these two characters in our scripture today, I can't help but think about how different they are. Jairus is a leader of the synagogue, a religious leader, which gives him a certain authority in society. He is probably relatively well off because we know his servant comes to tell him about his daughter. And really, ultimately, in Jesus' society, you know, he was also a man, and that meant something. That gave him more worth. And compare that to the bleeding woman, which, can we pause for a second? Because I'm a little bit bitter that she doesn't get a name, even though he does get a name in Scripture. I don't like that we reduce her just to her disease, since that's probably what society did. So can, just for today, can we call her the courageous woman? Because it took a lot of courage for her to go to Jesus. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I think compared to Jairus, the courageous woman was at the bottom of the social rung. The scripture tells us that she had spent all that she had on doctors. So we know that she was now impoverished. The nature of her disease meant that she was ostracized from society because she was unclean. And it also meant that she was barred from participation in religious life. So no society and no religion, and she was absolutely and completely powerless to change her situation. She was the most vulnerable there was, there was. They were on completely different levels of this social hierarchy. Yeah, um, I, I can see that, Andrea. <laughs> and, and also, I can see how similar they are. Yes, they are in different uh, status in, in society, 
um, different economic status, uh, and yet both of them are in very desperate situations, and both of them have to turn to Jesus as their hope. You're right. They are both in need of restoration, certainly, but I still think even their restoration is different. They were both asking for physical healing on the surface, but her restoration, she, she also needed it religiously. She also needed it relationally since she had been cast aside and was alone. She also needed it socially. She needed to be restored into her society. Yeah, and that's why I think Jesus compels her to speak up. I mean, Jesus heals her. She reaches out, she touches him, she is healed, and it could have been a secret healing. It could have been a hidden. Matter of fact, she might have even preferred that. But Jesus asked her the question, who touched me? And, and she has to respond. And I, I believe that Jesus compels her to come forward and speak up so that she could be heard by the crowd. So just to clarify, you think that it was one of those cases where like when someone steals something and the adult knows who did it and they're like, who took it? Yeah. And you know, they're giving you the eye contact. You think Jesus knew that it was her who had touched him? I think so. Okay. I love you, Emmett, but I completely disagree with that sentiment. Okay. <laughs> I think that Jesus knew that power had gone out of him. I think he could feel the spirit that, that in the midst of all the crowd who was touching him and pressing him, he knew that one of these was different, that something had happened. But I'm not convinced that he knew who it was. I think it took a lot of courage on the part of this woman to come forth publicly in the crowd who had you know, already cast her aside and admit to this holy man, this healer, this healer, what had just happened. And couldn't it be both? Couldn't it be that Jesus compels her through this question, but there is still a response that she has to have, and it is a courageous response, knowing that she is there in the middle of a crowd where the society had told her she should not have been, and she courageously speaks up and says, yes, I am the one who reached out, and I am the one who has been healed by Jesus. Yeah, I think it could be both. I think we experience that in our own spiritual lives too, because often when we feel that the spirit is calling us to make a decision or to do something or to move in a certain direction, we can feel that nudge, but we also have to respond to that nudge. Okay, so I take it back. I, I agree with you in some capacities. Um, let's talk about Jairus and his daughter who were also in need of restoration. Okay. Although even the two of them, I think the restoration was different. In the case of his daughter, her restoration was, was really physical healing. And by the end of the story, we know that she needed actual resurrection with her restoration. But his was a little bit different. Yeah, I think Jairus's restoration and his need for restoration uh, was from what he was feeling, which was fear and worry and anxiety. Um, you see, he was afraid beforehand that his daughter would, would die. And so therefore there was a fear there. But then when those footsteps of that servant comes and declares that his daughter has died, there is a, another fear and a different type of fear, a fear that, that this situation is is really difficult. It's really beyond what he can think. It's really too far gone. 
Yeah, I think you're right. And I think with the bleeding woman, with the courageous woman, excuse me, I don't think it was quite too far gone. I think she had lost just about all of her hope. I think she was incredibly desperate and at the end of her rope, but ultimately she was still breathing. She might have thought that, that reaching out to Jesus was the last option, but she still had that option. For her, her situation wasn't too far gone. But I imagine Jairus thought completely differently. Yeah, uh, for Jairus, he could believe Jesus that if Jesus could get there in enough time, his daughter could be healed. And he could conceive of that because he saw the courageous woman healed right there instantly right in front of him. But he has never seen anything like what he is really wanting to hope Jesus for, and that is resurrection. He can conceive of a healing before that dead situation happened, but he could not conceive. It was too far out there, too beyond his faith, too far gone. So even though their situations seem different, and even though, you know, from a social perspective, they're coming at it from two different locations, at its deepest level, I think the restoration that they needed was really similar. Yeah. I think they both needed hope restored. Mm -hmm. I think they both needed faith restored. I think about things like joy and laughter that probably both of them needed restored. And when I think about the restoration in that capacity, it makes me think of all of us in this room. We're all having different situations in our own lives. We're all coming at them from various perspectives. But I imagine all of us have something that we could say, I need restoration with this too. Maybe there's something going on in our lives that we feel like hope is there, but it is fleeting and it's, it's depleting rapidly and I still have it, but I'm getting pretty desperate and I'm at the end of my rope. Or maybe we have situations that we have long since declared dead, that there's nothing can be done about this, that this is just how it's gonna be forever. And maybe some of those situations are about us individually, things about us that we struggle with or things about how we are that we wish could change and we're just not sure if they ever can. Or maybe it's more relationally. Maybe it's about a family member or a friend and we look at them and either their relationship with us or just who they are and we think they are too far gone. I'm not sure anything can be done about this. But I think the good news from this story today is that nothing is ever too far gone for Christ. Whether we're at the end of our rope or whether we have long since lost all hope, Jesus' power to restore us and any situation is more than we can ever imagine. And I think when Jesus offers us abundant life, he's not just talking about breathing. He's talking about the stuff that makes life good. Things like faith and joy and laughter relationship with God, relationship with others, relationship in society, things that make life worth living. So I think when we talk about Jesus being able to restore life, we're not just talking about physically, the breath in our lungs, we're talking about those other things. And so I think the invitation for us in this room today is whatever situations we're thinking about, whatever situation we think, maybe we're at the end of our rope or maybe it's too far gone, Let's look to Jesus and trust in the, res in the restoration that he can offer. Let's, let's trust that his power is greater, able to restore anything. That's good, Andrea. Um, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 
and I also I see that there's a, another kind of restoration here. I think generally we look at Jairus and his family and the restoration that they were in desperate need of. And we look at the courageous woman and the desperation that she was in. But there is a third party here. And that party is the community. You see, this courageous woman had to speak up. She was compelled and she courageously spoke up. But if that community does not embrace her, that restoration is not complete. And so therefore, this third party, the community, has to enter into the restorative work that Jesus does in her life by embracing her back into the community. You're right, because Jesus, in this public healing, in the public confession that she says in front of everybody, it wasn't just a healing for her. Jesus was inviting the rest of them, almost as if he has restored her, so now all the rest of them need to be restoring her as well. Yeah. Maybe that's the second invitation for us today. It's not only to allow Jesus to come in and restore whatever situations we have in our own lives, but also as a community of believers, to be a community of restoration. And I see that playing out in two ways. The first way I see it is kind of the same challenge that maybe the crowd that day felt. That if we see evidence of Jesus's work outside of these walls in society, that we are the kind of community that also joins alongside of that. That we don't stand in the way of the restoring work that Jesus is doing out there. If, if Jesus has restored you, we restore it, we recognize it, we celebrate it as well. But I think the second aspect of this invitation for us as community is to be a place of restoration where when anybody walks in this room, in this building, into our groups, that this is a place where they can find that hope and that healing, where they can find that joy and that laughter, where we offer it freely, no matter their station, no matter their situation in life, just like Jesus did, that we get to be that restoring community for others. You know, when we read this passage today, when Charles read it with us together, we read the words of Jesus as a community. We read Jesus's healing and restorative words. And in the same way, we as a community are invited to live out those words. So let us be a community that restores one another in Christ.